Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. We, we are continuing uh, in the Book of Numbers. Counting way. Yeah. Counting down. Counting down. <laughs> oh, because of the. I was confused. Because, because of the numbers. Because of the numbers. <laughs> because of the numbers. Yeah. So my voice is a little strange today. So it is. It's already it. sounding better. It is sounding a little bit. It's yeah. the hot. It's, it's the, the hot, hot, be- the bean, hot water. bean water. Hot bean water. <laughs> Yep. It's a miracle cure. <laughs> it is. And so uh, last week we talked about the census numbers and we got really granular. <laughs> we did. We did. <laughs> so if we lost you there. I th- and I came off sounding like a heretic once. Did you? Yeah, because I was like, I don't really care if it's, if it's truthful numbers. <laughs> and I was like, as I've been thinking about that, I was like, I feel like I should have said that differently. <laughs> well, here you go. Here's your chance to make your concession. I wish I had said it differently. <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. It's on record now. <laughs> and I so, think in context, yeah. it makes sense, but just don't sound just me. don't sound by I don't care if the Bible's true, <laughs> Seth Stewart. <laughs> because then that would hurt my job. That would, and as your a, feelings. As a pastor and my desire to see the truthfulness of God's word upheld. <laughs> right. Every corner of it. Exactly. Okay. So that, that, that didn't happen, <laughs> but it did. But no. it did. So, the, so we're continuing. The Kohathites, the Gershonites, the Marriorites. Marrowites. 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 Yeah, that's a hard one. Uh, anyway, yeah, so this... This section we're about to get to, we've counted the fighting men, right? right? So the, what's happening yeah. in numbers in general <laughs> right. is they're about to go into the promised land. Yes. So these are all, all. This is all the prep work. We're still at Sinai. We're still at Mount Sinai. This is all the prep work that's needed for them to get to the promised land. That's right. That's and happening. that's right. That's right. So they've counted the fighting men who are going to go in and take over the land. They've city planned out the new nation. That's right. Yeah. And who's going to who's going to march where when yep. they when they march? And then they've counted the firstborn of Israel and the firstborn of the Levites and they've yep. done atonement and replacement for them. And now we get to um Really, what what's cons- pa- the, the packing crew? The packing crew, yeah. So, like, <laughs> think movers, about you, 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 if, yeah. If you remember back in Exodus, it's like you, you, you we read all this stuff that goes into the tabernacle, right? Yeah. But this is a tent, and they're about to move with this tent, right? And it's a very holy, set apart place. You yeah. can't just walk in there willy nilly, doing whatever yeah. you want. Uh, only if a certain kind of person is allowed in a certain kind of place after performing certain kinds of sacrifices, and so. Uh, the, the the problem is how do you move something That's that holy. can't be touched? Right, <laughs> like you can't touch the whole like the 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 ark of the covenant. So if you can't touch it, how do you move it? Right, right. People, certain people aren't allowed inside the tabernacle. Well, if they're not allowed inside of it, whenever it's all folded up, are they allowed to touch the curtains and right. stuff? Like, isn't it holy and still? And then even if you're not talking about the sacred things like the temple or the lampstands or the basin, uh-huh. you're still talking about things that encase the holy thing, yes. like the beams and the curtains and, and the, the, the tent pegs that the hold the peg. ropes that hold it's up like the these curtains. These things are all very in close proximity right. to the Lord's presence. So how do you deal with that? Right. And so essentially the plan is there, so there's within the tribe of Levi, not everybody is a priest, right? Uh Yes. In like the, the sense of yeah, cutting that, the animals throat, right, right, helping right. provide yes. atonement. Right. But everybody in the tribe of Levi, uh, the, all the men mm-hmm. in the tribe of Levi, have a role in ma- in maintaining the temple grounds. That's right. Yep. And so these three families, the Kohathites, the or clans or tribe, 
They're the well, three. They're the three sons of Levi. Okay. And then there. And then there. So Levi had three sons, and then his those sons had a bunch of kids, and so now those are clans, uh, and they're clans. they're named after the sons yeah. of Levi. They have their own tartans. Tartans? Yeah, like clans in Scotland. Oh. I've, oh. Like you know, yes, the kilts. The kilts. The, they have their tartan. Uh, oh. Uh, Is that like a family seal, like a crest or? Oh, the tartan. Oh, you look so offended when I what? said that. The tartan. <laughs> it's like the plaid. It's the plaid for each family. Some are green and yellow and black. So offended. how did you not know what a tartan was? <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like uh, that thing they ride in on Hoth and Empire Strikes Back in, in a Star Wars. Tauntaun. That's what I thought. Of. How culturally insensitive <laughs> you've been to all our Scottish <laughs> listeners. I'm so. Sorry. A tartan is the uh, the, the the pattern of uh-huh. basically plaid for oh. each family that the kilt will kilt will be made out of. Oh. And you also have a family crest. Okay. So mine's a swan feeding its young, the Stuart clan. Oh. And it says strength grows from a wound in Latin. Whoa. So that's intense. That's There's intense. a story behind that, I bet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good. So anyway, these are the clans, these are the clans <laughs> with their <laughs> Levi. With their tauntauns. Their their tart their tartan tunics. <laughs> At each t- at each time, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, okay, yeah. So we have all these clans, and each of them are given different jobs. And so um, the first thing we, we see is that the sons of Aaron, right, mm-hmm. which are not any of these three, are the ones that are going to be working inside the temple, and they are the ones who are allowed to prepare the most holy objects, like the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, right. the uh, table for showbread. The utensils that are used to like put coals on the fire, all this yeah. stuff. They essentially wrap them all. They wrap them all, and um, with the blankets. Yeah, and so yeah, with, <laughs> yeah. So the 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 Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant gets um, a special covering, um, as well as the table for the showbread. They they both get um, like a goatskin covering and like a blue cloth or a scarlet cloth, and um, and then they're put the poles are put on them, like poles covered in gold. Mm-hmm. Are kind of fed through loops to yeah. hoist these things up, so that you, the the people who move them aren't actually <laughs> touching the ark or the table. I had this. <laughs> do you know, like that picture of a hobo? A ho- with, oh, with, with like a bindle. The, the stick with a little bag yeah, on it? a bindle. I just imagine, like, giant bindles. <laughs> like, you have this whole clan just, just like, <laughs> holding they, bindles. They just put everything in a little Is that what sack. It's it? I think so, yeah. I, call it, like, I just call it, like, a hobo backpack. A hobo backpack. <laughs> you know, just... That's very culturally insensitive of you, Seth. And so, um, yeah, so they're each given... Uh, they're, they, they, they wrap all these things up. They wrap up the lampstand, the golden altar, and um, everything is covered with cloth... Some things are covered with goat skin, um, you know, everything like this. And um, and then the tribe of Koath is allowed to come in and carry the stuff uh, only so it's after prepared, it's been right. covered. Right. It's prepared by priests doing the mediating work. That's right. Aaron's sons. Aaron's sons. Yep. And then the Koathites come in. Mm-hmm. And, and they then. would carry the stuff. And then the Gershonites, which are the sons of Gershon. Oh, and we should mention here mm-hmm. as well in just a second that there's going to be gifted to the temple several oxen and wagons. Right. And they're actually given to everybody except the Kohathites. Yeah. Because the, the, uh, these sacred objects are not meant to be carried by animals. That's right. They're meant to be carried by humans. Mm-hmm. That'll come up later in the book of Joshua, right? Joshua, yep. when Uzziah, Uzzah, Uzzah. Yeah, the guy, who, the guy when it's falling and he tries to... Well, st- they put it on a cart first, oh, and then right. it falls off the cart and he tries to protect it. Oh. So, like, he, he's breaking all the commands that... I don't think I ever noticed that. Yeah, so he's breaking all the commands that are... Yeah, he's supposed to wrap it. He's supposed to carry it on poles. All these things were broken. And... It wasn't it, covered. It was on a cart. It was dri- driven by oxen. It's like... Crazy. So, anyway, that, they're breaking... Uh, so, that's what supposed, they're supposed to carry by hand. And then... You have the Merorites. Oh, sorry, but the Gershonites, though. And the Gershonites. Yeah, so the Gershonites are the, are next, and they are supposed to carry the curtains um, and the entrance to the tent of meeting and the hangings and the screens. Right, and so imagine, like, you have a really large tent. I mean, how big is this thing? I mean, it's I, not that big. I forget. But, I mean, if you have a tent made of goat skins, mm-hmm. that's heavy. Yep. It's just heavy. It's going to be a heavy tent, and it's larger than... Two thousand square feet. So it's just a. It's a big tent. It's a. It's a lot. It's a big. Yeah. It's, it's gonna require some. 
movers. Right. Yeah. And so they carry the, the the like the things that make up the temple structure, its curtains, its hangings, everything like that. And then um, the sons of Mariah, Marera, Marari, Ferrari, the mer people, the mer people. I like that. The 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 mer people. They carry everything that keeps the tabernacle up. Right, so yeah, the yeah, cords yeah. and the bases and the pegs, you know, tent pegs and stuff, they carry yeah. that. And so you can see that there's these concentric circles of holiness for what oh, people are allowed okay, to touch, right, right? right? You have the sons of Aaron who actually get to prepare the stuff. Yeah. Then once it's all covered up, then the sons of Korah, they get to carry the most holy objects. And then you get the the, temp, the tent itself, which are carried by the Gershonites and then the mer, the mer, the mer people. The mer I like people. that. They they just carry the tent pegs and the ropes, and so and the beams and the beams. So the, yep. I mean that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's important. As like, in, like to, structurally a big right. deal. Yeah. And, and <laughs> structurally a big deal. Structurally, it doesn't feel symbolically important. Uh, and so later on, you'll see the sons. I don't of, think. Do you mean to say that the? I don't think you mean to say that these jobs are less important, less, less and less important no, no, as no. they go out. It's but, just. The idea we've seen concentric mm-hmm. circles of holiness going out yep. already, yes, and so we're just seeing this even structured right. in a way that well, people carry out exactly the rebuilding and deconstruction. Of yes, the and it's like the the Gershonites. The only thing that's covered, um, like the holy objects inside the temple, is the the entrance to the tent of meeting is covered up. Yeah, everything else is just carried. Right, and then nothing is covered up on wagons. For, uh, yeah, wagons and, yeah, and yeah, and nothing is covered up when it when it comes to the pegs and the and the and the baseboards and the beams and yeah. stuff. And it's just to show that like you don't need a goat skin to cover this up. Right, and it's supposed to show different levels of holiness. But it is important because the one of Korah's sons, um, uh, or Koath's son, sorry, who is Korah, yeah, yeah. in in the number sixteen, he is offended that he doesn't that him and his tribe don't get to offer the sacrifices. And right. he gets jealous right, of right, Aaron's right, right, sons. Right, right. And so he basically forms a coup and is like, um, I think I should be in charge. And, and whole you know. thing that comes up. Yeah. I'm excited about that oh, one. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Um, but And what I thought, what I like, I'm in the middle of packing my house right now. Oh, so, yeah. So like, I have all my boxes and I label all my boxes books. All your boxes are labeled books? <laughs> books. That's a, all you have? It's like books, A through C. Books, oh. uh, C through F. Yep. You know, like I have mm-hmm. like, my books. Your are grading alphabet. system. My, they're they're alphabet. The good ones <laughs> get the A through B rating. Except my commentaries. My commentaries are by book. Of and everything else is alphabetized. Anyway, I mark all my boxes, pantry, you know, whatever else. Yep. And so they also have a census of all the items. Oh, right. Yep. So they have like a list of to make sure that everything, nothing goes missing, which I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yep. You have a large structure. You don't want to lose anything. They're made of gold and brass. Yeah. And these are valuable things. Anyway. Yeah, I think an interesting, I think two interesting things. One is why are these things covered in goat skin? You know, like I just thought that was interesting that the things that require sacrifice to get to then have like a symbol of sacrifice over them in order to carry them out. Yeah, it's like it's just all atonement. Just, yeah. Everything's atoned for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that was interesting. And then the other thing was like, you just you feel as you read this how holy this place is. And and yeah, go ahead. Uh, go back to the Garden of Eden. Oh sure. Adam and Eve when they leave the Garden of Eden, there an animal is killed and they're covered in clo- covered oh, in right. the, skin of, in the skin of an animal to cover their shame. But also as they leave God's presence and they move to elsewhere mm-hmm. into hopefully a new promised land, they're covered in uh, goats. Maybe not goats, but like they're covered in yeah. the skin of an animal. Right. So I wonder too. Even here, there's all this Garden of Eden imagery. Oh right. So as the Garden of Eden moves, they're also mm. covered in the skin of an animal as yes. it moves out and into the next place where the presence right. of God will yeah, fall. Yeah, definitely. I think that could be something that, that the biblical author is pulling on. The other thing that I was just like struck by was as you read this, you're like, hey, man, this stuff is really holy. It's really set apart, and it's really treasured. You know, like yeah. why? Well, because this is God's house. Like yeah. Yahweh comes and dwells here. It's a big deal, yeah. right? And yet, when we get to the New Testament, <laughs> where does Yahweh come and live? In jars of clay, Nazareth. <laughs> like, no, but yeah. I mean, like, yes, but like yeah. in us, in us, like it's like we now have this treasure. Second hmm. Corinthians four. What's the treasure he's referring to? The light of the glory of Jesus Christ, <laughs> right? So right. that's 
the presence. That's the presence that Moses saw on, on the on Mount Sinai that came into the tabernacle. That's what he's pulling on, all that language from Exodus. Yeah. And he says, now where does that presence live? Not in this tabernacle yes. where everything has to be wrapped up and taken care of. He's like, there. it's in earthenware vessels. It's in Earth jars, vessels. jars of clay. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's not in like a gold place that has to be carried by poles and covered carefully in goat skin and scarlet cloth. It's like, right. it's in us. And I'm like, I never thought about the fact that we are holy temples, like like temples to the Lord as a way to get to us, to the preciousness of human life, like the, mm. the sacredness of human life, like the sanctity of human life. I always thought we're made in the image of God by God's divine fiat. He made us right. good in one sense and... We fell, but anyway, like he made us very good. Yeah, like, we are imbued with a certain sense that, uh, of like of significance and yeah. value based solely on God's creative work. But even the fact that we now exist as temples of the Holy Spirit adds to our value. In, Definitely, in, in a sense, in yeah, a way too. So I just think it's interesting that like the the presence of God, which set apart this holy temple so much so that the the furniture in it had to be carried a certain way, right? Yeah. Um, and it covered with goat skin. Now that the perfect sacrifice has come and made atonement for us and covered us, right? Even the crappiest jars in the world, you know, the worst furniture furniture yeah. in the world, can be the new place where God dwells. That yeah. it's not just the sons of Aaron that get to come close to this thing. Nor is it the Kohathites or the Gershonites or the Mer people, right? Right. It's the people outside the camp. It's yeah. the people farthest away. Those most unworthy to come near have now yeah. been brought not only to the place where they can move the furniture, they've right. been made the holy of holies because yeah. God dwells in them. And I'm just like, that juxtaposition good. of like, don't even touch the furniture yeah. to I now come in you like right. as, and make and you holy furniture. Even like uh, Korah, who's going to rebel in a mm -hmm. second, yep. like, what he wants is actually what we get. In the New Testament. Oh, yeah. He right. wants to be in the temple, in yes. God's presence. Right. And he's doing it out of covenantal turn. Mm -hmm. and, but we get what Korah never was able to have. Right. I was also thinking for like so many of us, like we struggle with a sense of value, whether we're worth it, whether, whether or not we like um, are not just worth God's attention, but like other people's attention as well. And to have this, to have this sense that you are covered by a sacrifice so much and you are one of the most precious things in all of Israel, mm -hmm. like in all of Israel, you are God's most treasured possession. I was, have you ever heard of that thing called kintsugi, the no. Japanese um, pottery form? No, no. Oh wait, is that the one that is is they, it's pieced together with gold? Yeah. Oh so yes, like I have. You have a piece of pottery, that's right? A jar of clay, like it's something that's very right. fragile, something that's broken, it, and it, it that jar it, gets broken. And it's broken like right. accidentally. Uh huh. Um, and what it's done is, and so like I think a lot of us can relate to that image. Like we're jars of clay, we're fragile, we're, mm -hmm. we're our egos are easily bruised. Right. We're we, often we broken. sometimes don't we sometimes don't feel like the most valuable thing in the house. Right. And yeah. then what the the art form was to take it and then to mend all the broken piece of pottery with gold. Right. And it's the, they're beautiful. You they're gorgeous. Look, you can look it up online, and it's this celebrated piece of. Um, like this art form in, yeah. in Japan, so much so that people start breaking pots intentionally just to, just to make these right. things. And so, anyway, I was as I've just been like, that's us. Like we yeah. are these broken, fragile vessels, mm -hmm. but we're covered by the presence of the Lord in God's house. We are treasured possessions, and He takes those broken pieces of us and fills them in with gold. Mm. He makes us far more valued to him and to ourselves based on his presence right. than we ever were without it. Yeah, he takes people who should just be in charge of the tent pegs and makes them into the Holy of Holies. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so now we kind of get what feels like a not necessarily a hard reset, but definitely a new section of focus, and it's really focused on the, the purity of the camp. And it's highlighted by the fact that right at the top of chapter 5, God tells Moses that um, anyone who's unclean, like from a leprous disease or anything like that, basically look back at Leviticus and right. it gave you all the things that told you what was right. unclean. And he's like, make sure all those people who are unclean according to the, to Leviticus 
now go outside the camp until they're ritually clean, then they can come back in. Like right. that's yeah, it's like there's some people that might be there for longer if you have uh-huh. like a, a chronic skin disease, right. or there might be people that are there just for the overnight. Day. Yeah. yeah, over the night. Right. So what would that have looked? I was thinking about like what would that have looked like? Is yeah. it just like hotels outside, <laughs> like unclean hotels, like, Un- the unclean hotel? <laughs> Nobody wants to go there. <laughs> That'd be the motel, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I know. I, I mean, just... they have tents, and they probably just go outside the. Do they have their own like the circle bindle pop... with the tent? The bindles it. back. The, the bindles back, and they carry their own like unclean tent. Yeah, it's probably. Like, I don't know. Yeah, what and they that? just go set up camp. I mean, for the night, they're yeah. living in tents anyway. Yeah. So it's just where the tent is. So it's not like you're living inside like the cushy home inside the cat the camp, and then when you go out, you're roughing it. Right. It's like you're roughing it regardless. <laughs> this is just a proximity issue. It's those, it, it really is those concentric right. holiness rings right. where it's like the tabernacle's in the center, then there's the camp of Israel, but then outside the camp yeah. of Israel are where the unclean people go. And that can feel exclusionary. Right. But that's not the point. The point is that the people of – all of Israel knows that God lives in the middle right. of the camp. There is a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke yeah. in the center of their camp all the time. <laughs> Every time. so And we know that when the pillar of fire fell on Mount Sinai, what did everybody say? I don't want to go near that. Uh-uh, yeah. like, like If there's a pillar of fire next to you and the pillar of fire told you, don't come near to me if you're unclean because right. that's dangerous for you, I would probably want to be yeah. out. You'd be like, great, I'll, I'll be over there. I'll be over there <laughs> for a day and a half and I'll come back in fear and trembling. Yes. Like, I, like, I think the point here isn't that public shaming public shaming the point is god's presence is with his people and everybody knows it yep and so they are trying to live with god in his presence and the better thing is to be near him Mm -hmm. but when they cannot be near him it's good to obey him right you know it's like because the things that are talked about here like a leprous disease or being in contact with the dead or having a discharge these aren't sinful acts so we're not talking about like oh you, t- you, your mom died. You can't be here for a while. Right. It's like, whoa, that's messed up. That's not what's yeah. happening. This is about maintaining the ritual purity of the camp as yeah. set up by Leviticus, yeah. all for the purpose of of saying publicly and weaving into the fabric of Israel right. the fact that God is set apart. And it's not like God's presence wasn't on the outside of the camp. Oh, right. Yeah, God's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like God's presence is in the middle of Israel. So even yeah. if you're on the edges of Israel... You're still closer than anyone else. You're sti- God's <laughs> still in the middle of the entire nation. Like right. you're, He's still the focal point yeah. of everything. The point isn't your relative shame yeah. or whatever. It's... The point is that God's in the middle and he rules over all of you. So let's let's live in such a way as if God is the center of our lives. Right. Which just this this kind of stuff makes it just so crazy that when Jesus came, when the word of God tabernacled among us, mm-hmm. that he went to people outside the camp. Right. Right, that he went to lepers, that he went and touched dead bodies. This is like it goes the, back to like the, what the, ended up, the, the woman. Sorry, the woman no, with no, no. the bodily discharge for three right. years or whatever. He touched all of these people, yeah. and he was the tabernacle of God. What's crazy with the woman that discharged blood? She comes into God's presence. Yep. Like she oh, was, she does the wrong thing. She, she does the wrong thing. She comes towards <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what Jesus is probably doing is he's reversing. We all we think like that must be really exclusionary. There must be a lot of shame involved. Not necessarily, mm. but that is what happened. Yes. Like. In history, in time, as people went to the margins, yep. they stayed in the margins. That's right. Like they, And there was shame associated yeah, with being unclean. The sin in human heart corrupted God's good law and its intent. Right. And yeah. so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, like, you were never meant to be out of my presence. Mm-hmm. You were meant to be, this was a way for you to live back in my presence. Right. So when you are unclean, the goal is, the hope is that you will be made clean and mm-hmm. be with me again. Yeah, but it's also interesting. It's like none of these people who came to him or that he went to were were made clean. You had people with a, a lifelong leprous disease. You had a dead person, and then right. a woman who's been had this j- discharge of blood for years, and it never stopped. Right. And so these are people who like it doesn't matter how long I stay outside the camp. I'm never going to be clean. Mm-hmm. I'll never be allowed to be back in. Yeah. And that's what Jesus is saying in these miracles. Is he's like. I am able on earth to forgive sins, like he says in Mark. Right. I am able to make clean those who never could have been clean. I'm able to bring close those who have all, always would have had to been far. Yeah. So it's like, that's just so cool. That so anyway, so then we get, um, after after this this command to send out the unclean, um, we also get this like retouch yeah. on the guilt offering. So I think it's happening here. So we keep saying it like God is in the center of the camp. Yeah. 
this is these are blueprints and preparations for the new life that they're going to have in uh, the land of Canaan, right? For the new Eden. So the idea that we keep coming back to is that God is the central part of life in Israel. Mm-hmm. Everything is done in connection to Him. Yes, even the way some laws are carried out. God is personally involved in the restitution, in the justice process. Like it's not as if God set up a justice system, set up a system of governance, said, okay, Moses, run it. Right. God is actually actively involved in all issues of adultery, mm-hmm. of justice, of restitution, of reciprocity. Right. And like he is an active agent in the ju- the system of justice of the camp. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. So like what you're saying is like that's why sometimes whenever people say like, hey, so we read this law, but there's this provision that's come up in our life circumstance. Right. How does it apply here? And Moses goes, I don't know. Let me go ask God. Yeah. And so then God, in, in, in the Passover, in, in chapter nine, it happens chapter there. Chapter nine, yeah. A bunch yeah. of people are unclean from touching a dead animal. Yep. And the law has already said, if you're unclean- You can't eat the Passover. You can't do anything. Oh, right. Yeah. You can't do anything. So, But this particular instance was never mentioned. Oh, right, right, right. So yep. it's like, oh, but- What about the Passover? It's like the central right. defining moment of my whole salvation, yeah. like our nation's salvation. Right. So like- Can't we do that? Like- like I was dead in Egypt. Now right. I'm alive. Doesn't this make sense that I should be able to celebrate? Yeah. And like the Lord says, yes, yes, it does. Yeah. So God is actively involved in the law, how it applies, how it's adjudicated, how it's carried out, how the punishments are let it or not. Right. Okay. And so in in ch- the beginning of chapter five, you have this somebody making a public confession of their sin and then offering restitution, and then in the test for adultery, which is crazy, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about. Yep. Basically, has the opposite. Somebody is not confessing their sin. Right. So what if you what do you do if somebody confesses their sin? Oh, I see. You do this. Yeah. God's actively involved in this process in this way. Yeah. What if somebody doesn't confess their sin? Interesting. Here's how we do. Here's okay. How it looks. So before we dive in, then yeah. let me make because I've never seen it like that. And that's really helpful. So what we're saying is sail hammer, sail hammer, <laughs> man. So there's two things happening here. Um, we're ta- we're concerned about the ritual purity of the camp. One of the things, other than just uncleanliness of the body. You know that that would would you know violate the purity of the camp is sin when you right. do something wrong, and one of the ways it's dealt with is through the guilt offering, uh, or the sin offering, and you come, you make a confession of your sin, and you make restitution, and you make an offering. But what happens whenever someone sins and no one knows about it, but you start to suspect right. that this person is in sin? Well, we we're not going to go into every instance that that might happen. But like, I think he stole my goat, you know, like right, stuff right, like right, that. Right. But uh, but the the point is, and we're going to talk about adultery. That a, a a husband thinks that his wife has been having an affair. Right. And what what, what we're going to dive into that one. But over the top of it, I think what's what at least I think I hear you saying is the point is even if you don't confess your sin and make restitution, you will be found out. Yeah, God, God, is God knows he's involved. <laughs> he's involved, and, he, and 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 if you don't make the ultimate it right, judge yeah. is God. Right? So if you don't make it right, he, like he's going to find you out, and you're going to bear your own iniquity. You're yeah. going to, and so let's look at this specific test, um, the test of adultery. So if you haven't read the test of adultery before listening to this podcast, it'd probably be helpful for you to go and read it because it is. It is a fascinating little interlude in this in scripture. Yep. So essentially the story is a man suspects his wife is having an affair, but in Jewish law, you need at least two witnesses mm-hmm. to for anything to be um like, like a, pen, a penalty to actually a penalty. Yeah. Like, yeah, he can't just do it on a hunch. Right. Which is a big like a big change in the justice system of the of that day. Right. Because husbands had unilateral power back right. then to be like I, I bet my wife's cheating on me, killer. This yeah, so this is a way to protect women. Protect women. To protect women. Yes. Although as you get lost in the weeds, it can feel a little different. But it's the the purpose is to protect women right. from husbands who are trying to use their control to divorce them, sleep right. around, mm-hmm. do whatever they want. Right. So he suspects that his wife is having an affair. Mm-hmm. And so what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to bring an o- a grain offering mm-hmm. to the priests, and the priest then is gonna offer that grain offering to the Lord. But he's also going to make a bitter drink, and it's going to be water from the basin of holy water right. and some dirt from the ground of the tabernacle. Yep. And he's going to mix it up, a little dirty water, yep. and then he's going to make this curse, an oath, a vow. Right. And he says, essentially, you agree, woman, that if 
you have a committed adultery, your womb is going to shrivel up, your thigh, is, I think it's the, your thigh will fall away. Your thigh will sag or fall and, away. It's and, a euphemism for the reproductive organs right. will, cease, will start to fail. And then... You'll and, be barren. But or you, you'll miscarry. Or you'll miscarry. But if you um, are innocent, nothing's going to happen. Right. And the woman says, I agree to this yeah. test. She says, amen, amen. Amen, amen. It's the first time amen is used in the Bible. Are you serious? Yeah, it's right here. Oh, it's because it means so be it. So be it. So be it. Yep. Because it's like, you're guilty. So be it. So be you know, it. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's, I agree to this test. I agree right. to this test. And so, yeah. And, and doesn't he, he writes down the curse like and a he, contract. So he, and, she says, amen. Yeah. Then she, he writes it in ink. Yeah. And then he washes the ink with water uh-huh. and pour and that, and that inky water mixture falls into the cup. That's also has the, the water and the dust from the tabernacle. So it's this inky, dusty water, which if you drank, it wouldn't taste good, but it wouldn't hurt you. Right. So it's not poison. The first thing that I had to overcome as I was reading yeah. this. And then, then after you drink it. If you are uh, innocent, it does nothing. Nothing to you. will happen. It just tastes bad. Yep. If you drink it and you start feeling intense pains and cramps, you are, you're guilty of adultery. Right. Which which I, I think we have to be careful there. It's not like this immediate pain that takes over. It's it's most likely you leave, you live your life, and you start to miscarry. You start to be barren. Like these pains and cramps are things associated with the reproductive health of a woman. And so that's, I think that's what's going on here. You don't it, think it happens in that moment? Because the pr- purpose of it is a judge, like, we need to figure out if my wife has mm-hmm. committed adultery. So right. I would assume that there would have been a reaction in somewhat so. real time so because the husband would then have grounds to... The, the, the problem is that um, the, 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 the punishment for adultery is, is stoning. Right. And that's never brought up here. The, oh. the, the punishment, because right. there's no witness... It's all an assumption, right? So even if it was found it out. was found out, or, or even if she like was she did exhibit the symptoms that that said she was guilty, the symptoms of being barren and having a miscarriage, those that is the punishment itself. Right. There's not an additional one because there were no witnesses. So would the husband be free to divorce then? I, mean, I don't know. Not, never mentioned. Uh, it's here. not mentioned here. That'd be one of the things that they have to go ask God for. <laughs> um, okay. So one of the things yeah. I had to get over right as I was reading this was like this just feels. Like magic, right? This, like as I was reading it, I had in the back of my mind like these shamanistic, animistic mm-hmm. rituals mm-hmm. where you have somebody in a mask, kind of dancing around, chanting or making an omen, somebody drinking something, going into convulsions on the ground. Like mm-hmm. all this felt very magical, very pagan, right? And I, I don't think that's not what's happening here. But that was my my first read of it was like, is this magic? Right. Like that's what I kept thinking. Right. The thing I thought of uh, was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like there's that scene where um, they 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 think they found a witch, and they do all these tests, these inane tests that does she, have does she no weigh as much as a duck. Yeah, yeah, they <laughs> they figure out like uh, let's throw her in the water, and if she floats, then she's a witch. If she sinks, she's not. But either way, either if she floats, she's going to be killed. But if she sinks, she drowns. So she's dead either <laughs> right, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, well, if she floats, she must weigh as much as wood. What weighs as much as wood? Maybe a duck. Well, if she weighs as much of a, as a duck, then she must be a witch. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> and so like that's what I felt like was going on here. Uh, was like it, it, it felt really archaic and like really old. And what I think we have to realize is there were things in the ancient Near East that were the shaman dancing around and you drink this thing and if you die, you die and you were guilty and if you live, you must have been innocent. But the things they would make them drink were poison. Like they were harmful to the body. Oh, and so it was actually going to hurt you. And so the only, and so everyone was guilty and the only way you could survive and be innocent was if the gods saved you from that poison. Fascinating. Here, the opposite is happening. You're drinking something innocuous and so the punishment that would come on you must only have been from God. Right. And that's the big difference between... Huge difference. It's also the, the, the primary difference between magic and... Spirituality. Spirituality. <laughs> yeah. Magic assumes that there's something inherent within the object... Yes, that's correct. That yeah, that's correct. Yep. has a certain power. And so that's why even in the early version, the, the early Christianity even during the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. like certain icons or images or like pictures of Jesus on a piece of toast. Like that's the crazy, you know, that's right. That's or or like a, 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 a shard of, of wood from the cross. Right. These are magical things yes. that if you come near close them, to, touch them, pray get, to them, you get power. That's right. That's, the Bible does ha- not have any place for magic. No. In fact, in Numbers, 
when we read about the the gold serpent, we're going to read right, about right, later. Right. Later on in the text, it becomes a magical thing in the right. history books, and God demands that it be destroyed. Right. Like because when something starts dis- distracting from God's power right. and becomes about the object itself, God Nothing says destroy it. Has power in its own right. That's right. Just because it was near God's presence at one time doesn't mean it has inherent nope. power. All power comes from God alone. Mm-hmm. So again, the purpose of this test of adultery is to show that not that this bitter water has some magical properties or that the priest kind of acts like a shaman. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. (laughs) And God is directly involved Mm -hmm. in the justice of his people. That's right. Actively involved in the protection of women. Actively involved in marital relationships that are on the rocks and where people are cheating. There's nothing in the camp that God is not involved in and God is not intimately actually acting in. And all of these symbols and all this washing and all this other kind of stuff, it is meant to point Israel, Israeli people, Hebrew people to the pagan practices, mm-hmm. but only so much to see is how different their God is. That's right. Yep. Right. That's the only reason that look might look similar to surrounding yep. pagan cultures. Exactly. And that yeah, exactly right. It, it, just like the creation narrative, just even the the temple system, all of this or stuff. Even the numbers and the even stars. Even the numbers and the stars. All of this stuff was meant to look similar, but with key differences to show the falsehood of every other god. But to show like that the Yahweh is different. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And and so I just I mean, <laughs> getting to Jesus in this text, uh yeah. I think is important, one, but two, it might feel difficult. But I think what we have to see here are two really important things exegetically first. Like, what what is this text about? And one, it's about the cleanliness of the camp, that Mm -hmm. God is concerned with the purity of his people. And one of the things that is... And God as lawgiver and judge. Yes, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. And so, and one of the things that's integral to the purity of the camp is marital fidelity. Like, marital fidelity is of a very high importance to God. In fact, um, and, and what's the what's the basis of this whole thing taking place? This whole test taking place. The man gets jealous. The jealousy right. jealousy arises in a man, and he's not condemned for that. He's yeah. not judged for that. Uh, it's not well, seen it does, as a bad thing. The only thing I was trying to figure out is in the very last verse. It says, uh, "The man shall be free from iniquity, right? But the woman shall bear her iniquity." Assuming yep. like the man could be jealous in a wrong way, but if he's proven right. He doesn't bear his iniquity. But I think you would then have to say that if he was wrong, then he does bear his iniquity, but that's not true. Okay. And so I don't think that's... I think this is supposed to remind us of God's name that he revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. Yeah, he I'm said, jealous. I'm, what's my name? I'm going to tell you my name on Mount Sinai, and it's a long name, but part of that name is, I am the Lord your God, a jealous God. Yeah. He's jealous for his bride, Israel. Mm-hmm. And he does not want them to be adulterous. And what's going to happen in the prophets? He's going to call them adulterers. <laughs> like, right. And he's going to get jealous. And they're going to drink the bitter cup of his wrath. Right? Yeah. And then, but when Jesus comes and he calls himself and, the bridegroom. And okay, yeah, just ahead. like just like here, like adultery, the punishment kind of fits the crime. If you want to sleep around and violate the marriage covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Edenic covenant, where yep. you'll be fruitful and multiply. Yes, oh yes, earth, this is very important. Yeah. You actually don't get to experience. Yes. What you broke a covenant that was meant for your flourishing, yep. your multiplication, and your growth. Yep. You broke that covenant, which is pictured in marriage. Yep. So you don't get to partake in the blessings That's of right. that marriage. Yep. And so the punishment fits the crime. And yes. That's exactly what happened to the prophets. I've mm-hmm. been studying Hosea recently. Yeah. Hosea gets exactly what she asked for. She wants to go and chase after other lovers to give her wool and flax and all the things that she thinks she needs. So God says, sure, I'll hedge up your way so that your only option is to pursue those false lovers, and they'll never give you. I promise they'll never give you what you want. Right, Hosea's yeah. wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah, when Jesus comes, he calls himself the bridegroom, and mm-hmm. he is the one, and, and like, he comes to adulterous Israel, even goes to adulterous women. Yeah, right, I was like thinking, the woman at the well in John four, and even I mean in John eight, even though oh, right. we don't necessarily know if it's canonical, like right. It's but I actually think there's a lot of parallels between the story. The more I think about it in mm-hmm. that story, because I mean one, there's. The Pharisees are jealous mm-hmm. of Jesus's power and Im- growing influence, so they come to him with a test right. of adultery, and it's you, not for their own wife; it's for, for some random woman. For some random woman who there's, they say there's a wit- their witnesses to, but, the but where hus- are they? But where are they? <laughs> yeah, the husband is not even present mm-hmm. for it, and so what is Jesus being asked to do? He's being asked to judge. Be the judge, 
just like God would have been which the judge. Which is ironic which that is, they're actually saying like, hey, you take the place of Yahweh and make this judgment for us. Right. It's like, it's funny. That is Because ironic. it's like they're trying to prove that he's not, not who he God, sa- says he But is. by going to him as judge in, a, in the case of adultery, they're saying he is God. <laughs> like, That's really so interesting. D- determine. And Jesus is kind of in an impossible situation because oh, if he right. says she's not guilty, they'll say, look, your rabbi doesn't mm-hmm. obey the law. If she says she is guilty, look, your rabbi has no mercy. Yep. But what does he do? He gives it. He like, what? I wonder if writing in the dirt, he's writing the oath. Right, that's written here, and it's like a it's a mix of he's like, writing the curse and it's in the sand, so it's yeah. like the sand from the holy of holies and the curse that was written. That's that's a really strong argument and for so, that. And so, and then interesting. What and what does he say? What 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 does he say in John eight? Uh, oh, he's like, yeah, he's like, if uh, who who among you has not sinned, let him cast the first stone. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know how that one necessarily correlates here, but the, what happens is all the accusers go, go away. away. The jealousy is dissipated. Mm-hmm. The test is no longer, like, he doesn't have to make a decision. They make a right. decision for him. And, and he, she was guilty. And she, well, she, we don't know that. Well, I mean, he tells her, go and sin no more. Well, I don't condemn you either. Go and, like, I bet she, like, I think she, I think the whole point of the story was to presume guilt. Mm. Because, and like, and even if she wasn't guilty of adultery, she was guilty of something or else right. he wouldn't say sin no more. He would say, keep on not sinning. Keep on, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. She was guilty and she deserved punishment, but he ended up like drinking the bitter cup himself. You know, and that's what he, yeah. that's what Jesus says. I'm going to drink a cup. Yeah. Can you drink that cup? You know, like, and I mean, even before we get to the Jesus drinking the cup of water, yeah. it's like Jesus is acting justly in that moment. Like yes. he is being the perfect mm-hmm. lawgiver mm-hmm. of Israel. Right. Israel has all these laws that are meant to be, com- to be kept. Yeah. And the people accusing her are not following the proper protocol. Right. So he's actually, he said, he's throwing the court case out. Because of misconduct, because yep. of judicial misconduct, like yep. we would do the same thing. That evidence, oh, mistrial, that, mistrial. Yeah. He's like, this is actually a mistrial. So he's acting as the perfect judge of Israel, mm. like God was in the Book of Numbers. Yes, I don't think we necessarily have to get to the cross and say he drinks a bitter cup, although he does. He does. Yes, he's what he's saying is this is a mistrial. Yeah. Go and sin no more, because there is a trial coming that you could like this. Oh, this yeah. could have happened to you, right? But this is a mistrial. That's interesting. Like, so I think that's probably the better way to read that. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, and, but I also think that like, and he's a more merciful. He's such he a merciful is very, yeah, he's very merciful. Uh, I'm just like, but I'm like the the thing that gives him the right to const- to throw out every court or to right. throw out every everything as a mistrial or or you know or not even that, but right. to, to like, he, well, to say. Neither do I condemn you. That's the thing. In order to yeah. say that, right. all punishment needs to be, all of Israel's sins yes. need to be punished. Yes. They need to be atoned for. Right. And so he's, and, and so I just think that like the curses are true of us. Like We should get them. We should be excluded from the, the, the covenant blessings promised to those who would keep the law. We should be excluded from them. And yet Jesus drinks the curse himself. So that we might have the blessing, so that we could be included, and it's just—it's amazing. Like, yeah. I just think all these—that's what I love about seeing Jesus in all of Scripture—is you get to like it's a prism, you know, and as you shoot the yeah. light of the gospel through it, you see different so, colors, and it's the same story. Yeah, like it's the gospel, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that to our cold, calloused hearts can grow f- too familiar, dangerously familiar, and um, and it's like thinking about the the curses written in the book of Deuteronomy pouring yeah. into a cup, right? Right. And then Jesus drinking that to the, the water, washing it into the... Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's a beautiful picture of him yeah. taking the punishments we deserve that I've never had in my brain before. It's like, right. I get to inhabit a new imaginative world that the gospel yeah. is building for me as I read the, as I read the Bible and yeah. see Jesus and all of it. So anyway, that, that's, uh, that's the case for adultery. Uh, now let's look at the famous Nazarite vow. All right, and then the last thing in this section that is focused on the purity of the camp is the Nazarite vow. So what is a Nazarite? A Nazarite is is not a person. <laughs> is it a place? Nope. That's Nazareth, Nazarene. which is not anywhere on Israel's radar right now. So Nazareth. Na- a Nazarite vow and a Nazarene, uh, of which so, Jesus was, are not related what? in any way, I was expecting this to form. be a really easy Jesus <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It's the Nazarite vow. Jesus is the Nazarene. It's yeah. done. Nope. Not the case. And, um, and so the Nazarite vow seems to be something that people of this time were already familiar with because it's just like not even explained. Like whenever you want to take a Nazarite vow, 
do this. And it's like, <laughs> a what? <laughs> you know? and, and so it's been very confusing for scholars because we don't have a lot of information about this vow, but it seems to have been something that was already in existence that right. people wanted to do that they wanted to and we already be have categories of. for vows that's from right the end of leviticus yes yep where basically it was take a vow carefully carefully don't rush into one and so this is actually a prescribed vow or like almost like yeah it's like a prescribed vow it's like this is a it's a very particular it's a vow with that has its own um rules and expectations yeah, yeah. it's like a it's like a like you know, maybe every other vow vow is a la carte, and you kind of do it how you want. This yeah. is prefixed, you know. <laughs> and so this is it, this is a, this is supposed to be a very um, prestigious vow, and so it, Samson it, takes it. Samson takes it. I think it's also is, is Samuel it, takes Samuel it. takes it. Yep. Uh, and there's one more person I can't there, remember. Those are the two. Those are just Those two? Are the, the big two. The big two. The big two. Uh, now, in the in the ancient Near East, there's four things that we should be thinking about when it comes to vows that um, not only were... I like how you always have lists. It's like, yeah. I have four things. I have four things I want to say about this. And normally, I only have three because I, <laughs> I know two. And I can make up I, one. I can make up a third <laughs> normally. But uh, these aren't mine. I got these from a commentary. Wenham, so, uh, my favorite. Uh, actually, it, I think it, it, it's funny. It, it wasn't a Wenham con- commentary, but I'm pretty sure he was quoting Wenham <laughs> in this part. Which, yes, Gordon Wenham is one of my favorite commentators. But um, no, so uh, in 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 the ancient Near East, vows were, were these four things. One, they grew out of need or distress. So we okay. see that um, in Samuel, in in you know where it's like she was barren. Right. In, in Samson, they they wanted a kid, and they were willing to take a vow and dedicate their kid for life. If right. they, if God would give them what they what they were asking for, so it comes out of need or distress. Two, it is from humans to the gods, or in this case of Israel, God alone. Uh, three, it is conditional. So, if you do this for me, then the vow will take place, or okay. I will do this for as long as blank, or you know, it's not unconditional right. or never ending. And then four, when that condition is met or the time placed on it has ended. Um, there's a public offering that's given upon completion. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk about all this, uh, but just while the list is fresh in everyone's head, I do just want to make a quick Jesus turn. Okay. Because this is cool. Do it from the list. I will. So one, uh, instead of it, uh, a vow growing out of need or distress, God, Jesus and God, they have covenanted with us. They, Jesus makes vows to us that he will always be with us, that he will save us, that he will be our our brother, our savior, our intercessor. He's yeah. he's promised so many things to us. So here's here's four things about God's vows to us, right? One, they did not come out of need or distress because right. God has no need. Yeah. <laughs> he did not have to make a vow with us, right. but he did. Two, um, it wasn't from humans to God. It was from God to humans. So it's completely flipped. Three, it's not conditional. It's unconditional. I will never leave you or forsake you, right? All those kinds of things. And then four, um, instead of us offering a public offering that um, showed its completion, making a sacrifice that we'll read about here in a second, um, instead, Jesus was the public offering that was offered to say that it is finished. Mm. The vow has been solidified. It is done. So I just think it's cool. That is cool. Like. Regardless of the vow, yeah, and we, I think we even talked about a little vow. bit about this at the end of Leviticus. At the yep. end of Leviticus, it's like Jesus is the ultimate vow keeper. Keeper, yes, yeah, so good. That's anyway, so, good. so let's talk about this vow in particular. So um, what's unique about this one yep. is abstinence from alcohol. Yep, and no cutting of your, of your hair. hair. Yep. So the no abstinence from alcohol, and, and no touching dead bodies. No touching dead bodies is a big one. Well, I think, and those those first and last one makes sense to me. The no alcohol makes uh-huh. sense to me, right? Because throughout Scripture, so far throughout the Pentateuch. Alcohol is normally associated with just bad things. Right. Like in Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu are, offer strange fire, mm-hmm. and uh, they're burned up. And the command that comes immediately after that is the priest should not be drinking strong drink or be drunk with wine. Mm-hmm. So that's not a direct parallel, but right. a lot of people assume the reason why Nadab and Abihu were punished is because they were drinking alcohol, which would also make sense. And so they went into the temple drunk, right. yep. which would also make sense because Lot was drunk and slept with his daughters. Yep. Uh, Noah was drunk and the whole thing with his son. Yep. So like, there's this there's this history in the covenantal, like the co- different covenants that God makes with humanity yep. that each one is interrupted by drunkenness. Right. And so it makes sense that he's abstaining from the thing that has inhibited the, the covenant in the past. Right. And interestingly, fun fact, mm. 
So Lot sleeps with his daughters when he's drunk. Yes. And those clans oh. are the Moabites and the Ammonites. Yeah. And at the end of the book, Balaam, yep. a uh, disowned or like not a son of the covenant. Right. A he's son a, yeah. of drunkenness. A yeah. son of, he's a Moabite. A son of sin yeah. is the one who's pronouncing blessings over Israel <laughs> as Israel is failing their covenant That's on crazy. the ground. Yeah. Irony. 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 Yeah. Uh, so that one makes sense to me. The no, tu- that's, no touching dead bodies makes sense to me because we've had we've talked a lot about what that means. And so maybe it doesn't make sense to you, but we've talked about that a lot. Yep. Um, like go- the God of life, if you're going to enter into a covenant with the God of life, a deal with the God of life, a vow with the God of life, you should not have anything to do with death. Yep. The hair one <laughs> does not. It's have, a weird one. Isn't that? So what are you, what's your take yep. on the hair? My take on the hair is that it was a public symbol that they were currently undergoing the Nazarite vow. So it was basically for other people's edification. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then why burn it? What? At the very end. Oh, it's the a Nazarite... sac- yeah, it's a sacrifice at the end. But why? The... Uh, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I thought a little bit more. Okay. So hold on. People might not understand what we're saying here. So You're, you would grow your hair out. You wouldn't, you wouldn't shave it. You couldn't cut it. T- couldn't take a razor to it until the vow is over. And then you shave your head yes. and you burn your hair along with the rest of your offering. Right. Okay. Why? Why? And so, so you're saying like one throughout the, t- the whole time of your Nazarite vow, you're gonna have this long, you're gonna have long hair. Mm-hmm. It's probably gonna form into dreadlocks unless you're washing it frequently, <laughs> right? But like you're you're living in the dirt, right? I'm assuming dreadlocks. Yeah, sure. Why John not? the Baptist, he's the other Nazarite. No, no. We'll talk about it. What? We'll talk. We'll get there. Oh, it's oh, super debated. Oh wow. We'll talk about it. Okay. Anyway, I had to forgot where I was going. <laughs> Dreadlocks. <laughs> dreadlocks. I don't even know where I was going with that. So you have these dreadlocks, and then it's like, and then you cut them off and you burn them. Right. And so, like, why this prohibition against cutting your hair? You know. Oh, and you, so yeah. you said it was for a public symbol, maybe of what is. I was thinking too that. So there's one in the New Testament mm. or in, in the Psalms. David describes uh, an old man's hair as his crown. Oh, right. And so, I, yeah, it, yeah. isn't it like it, it, gray hair is gray, a crown? Gray hair is a crown. Right. And so I was just thinking about like... Is that Proverbs or Psalms? Oh, I don't, it might be Proverbs. Probably Proverbs. Anyway, yeah. And so I've just been thinking about like hair as a crown. Okay. As a symbol of who you are. Yeah. And your dignity as an image bearer of God. So like even just like... like we take great care with our hair. Like our hair is an expression of our personality, the way that we style it. Like mm-hmm. all these things are important part of being a human with hair (laughs) it's or even if you don't have hair like bruce willis right that's a statement that's a statement even if you don't take care of your hair that's also a statement it's like hair is like a statement about who you are even like in old time movies like when somebody would go off to war what would the woman do she'd like cut off a lock of her hair and give it to the soldier the soldier it's like it's a symbol of who she is weird it is weird it's really weird thing we do as humans yeah and over and over again in the text it'll say like consecrate your head like it the hair is talked over. Oh, the head, the, especially. Head, yeah. The head, it's like the hair, the head. Like, so I'm just wondering, like, if part of the reason the hair is so important is because it's recognizing the hair is a symbol of the person. When Israel would go into battle, one way that they would humiliate their captors shave their heads. is by shaving their heads. Yep. Jesus' beard is pulled out as a way of, mm-hmm. like, shaving their heads. Right. Levites, or like other people who had to shave their head before mm-hmm. they enter into a particular time. So I'm wondering yeah. if like there's a symbolism with hair. It's like it is actually a representation of who you are. Right. And the and fact that it comes from the head is also probably very significant. Right. The head was highly important. Right. Uh, Although back then the heart. The heart's also very important. Yeah. But the head what like that's where crowns go. And, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you pour anointing oil and you know So I was I was like the, Not, head. it, the head's important for different reasons for, than it's important for moderns. Right. For us, it's like that's what the, the center brain. of reasoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. No, different, different reasons. So I was in wondering like, if one of the reasons why the hair is important, it's because like you're a symbol of yourself yeah. is being given over to the Lord. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. Maybe. It's really hard to tell. Anyway, but this this Nazarite vow is is just strange. And someone might just take it. They want to take a very serious oath. If you want to take a super serious oath, if you want to beg God for something, right. take the Nazarite vow. And like you can do this right. now <clears throat> with John the Baptist. Oh, okay, John the Baptist. Um, uh, like so I, that's where we would say traditionally you might yeah. get through Jesus through John the Baptist because John the Baptist, a lot of people assume took a Nazarite vow. I right. thought he did until this moment. Yeah, no. So I I I wanted to make that turn in the uh, in the devotionals. Okay, and I and I hint at it. Yeah, and I say it's debated. Right, and um, and because we're not told that he abstained from strong drink, mm-hmm. um, we're not told that he didn't cut his hair. 
Like all the like those are two of the big things. Right. I don't even think we're told that he stayed away from dead bodies. Mm. It, we're all we're told is that he like that he went out into the wilderness and yeah. ate locusts and honey. Right. And so it's like, uh, we don't really know. Now it's possible like uh his mom, you know, was barren. Right. But God came to them, you know. Right, right, and so it's right, kind right, of this right. vow reversal thing. Um but the interesting thing that uh if he did take a Nazarite vow, you know, or even if he didn't, and we're just supposed to be thinking of the Nazarite vow, yeah. um, I think this is really interesting. Okay. That the Nazarite vow, whenever it's over, right, when the conditions are met, you would come and make offerings. Right. And that would signify that the vow has been completed and your time as a Nazarite is done. Is okay. Um, if uh, <laughs> it was so, that was so loud. Seth just threw his phone. <laughs> um, Angry. If, if, uh, if, John was a Nazarite, and his whole purpose for being taking this vow, setting himself apart, right, all this right. stuff, was to prepare the way for Jesus. Whenever he sees Jesus, what does he say? He uses sacrificial language, and he says, oh, behold, oh. the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and then his ministry is over. Hmm. And it's like, it's just interesting that it's like his his vow time right. ends in a sacrifice, but it's not... Of an, of an animal. It's right. the Lamb of God ends his time of sacrifice. So I do think that is interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. And those are probably some of the reasons why people assumed he's making the Nazarite vow. Yep. And I also learned... I think we also really want a Nazarite vow in the New Testament. But we have one. We do yeah. have one. I've heard... I, I'll I, show Historically, you. people, I think, got confused between Nazarite and Nazarene, like we said before. Oh, big time. Yeah. Which is why Jesus has long hair in a lot of the old pictures. Oh, really? I think... I think You're probably right. Historically, yeah. that's why. I don't that's know. That's really funny. It's like people assume, oh, he, he was he took a Nazarene vow at some point. A Nazarene vow? A, a Nazarene <laughs> vow at some point. So that's why he has long hair in all the pictures. Yeah, like, That's funny. Um, but uh, we do have an example of probably what is a Nazarite vow in the, in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, um, Paul is talking, and he says that they have four men... Um, under their care. So this is in Acts 21, uh, 23. And there are four men under their care who have made a vow. They're under a vow. And um, in verse 24, he says, take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Because the shaving of the head would be the end of the vow. And um, according to um, other texts from this time, we know that people under Nazarite vows would often have sponsors so like, and the sponsors would pay for all the offerings that concluded the Nazarite vow and in a sense How could kind you? of be shoehorned in to the piety associated with that vow. So the idea is like, I don't really want to make a vow, right? but I want to pay for somebody else to take a vow on my behalf. Yeah. And so I can maybe get what God wants. Well, I can get what yeah. God, what I want God to give me based on your piety, right. not my own. And that would be the negative way to view it. The other way is like, man, this guy did this vow and he's poor, can't really afford the end of his sacrifice. I'll pay for it. There's a uh, nice way to think about it. Too. Or it's like, it's like, you know, like a nonprofit. Like yeah. A nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. There's just someone wanted to, or a missionary right. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so there, here we have four people who were probably under the Nazarite vow who, uh, Paul wanted it to end. Um, so they could, you know, continue their ministry with him. Maybe they needed to be going to parties where they could drink and uh, be a more effective ministry min, yeah. missionaries or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. anyway, there is a Nazarite vow in the new Testament. There it is. Um, uh, anyway, so we've already kind of done a couple of our, how do we see Jesus in this? Any, any other observations yeah. you want to make? Uh, yeah. This is, this is the end of this section. Man, I really don't know. I was, I was struggling to get to the Nazarite vow yeah. <laughs> to Jesus, but I think we did it. Like we this did. is yeah, a, with the vow. A, it's a, it's a form of vow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like in the same way that the test of adultery is like an archetypal, picture of the fact that God is involved in the community when people do not right. confess sin. This is an archetypal picture of what it looks like to take a vow. It begins with a request from God yep. and it ends with a sacrifice to God. And ultimately, it's not necessarily about the specifics, but it's about what a vow is in general that points us to Jesus. Yeah. And you could look at it from this way too. We're all in distress and in need, and we all need to cry out to God for yeah. help, which is what someone would do when they took a vow. And... Um, uh, but we can't live up to the requirements that would allow us to like earn God's favor. We, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, we could abstain from alcohol and not cut our hair and stay from dead bodies, but the list of things that we need to abstain from is not three long. It's hundreds long. It's yeah. the law and it's God's perfect character. It's his glory. We've fallen short of that. And so we, we, we don't uphold the vow that we've cried out for. God help me, save me. I need help. I don't want to die. 
and yet we can't escape death from our own by our own good works. And so Jesus comes and fulfills the vow for us, offering a sacrifice that frees us from the vow, you know, in a sense, yeah. and ends the vow. And and I just think that's really interesting. There's a lot there, I think, actually. But the most really beautiful part of this section is at the end of chapter six. The and ben- the it's benediction. The benedict the if priestly bless the priestly blessing. If you're from a more traditional church, uh, or a more liturgical church, you probably end your church services mm-hmm. with, with this. this. Yep. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up your countenance, uh, lift lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yeah. And so this is something that um, that Moses was to say to Aaron and his sons, and then Aaron and his sons were supposed to say to all the people. Yeah. And, and so whereas we just talked about a blessing probably for a particular person who took the right. Nazarite vow, now God's saying, I'm going to bless all of Israel. And here's yep. what it looks like. And here's what it looks like. And it makes yep. sense right here because essentially you've done all the city planning. Yep. Everything is ready for them to go into the new Eden. Right. And so the camp has been built. Mm-hmm. The laws have been established. God is in the middle of all justice and all promise keeping. He's yep. there in the middle of it. Now let's go. Right. And, and so, yeah, that's a really good point actually. This does kind of end the the time at Sinai. Um, right, and and it would feel like that if it wasn't for seven through nine, chapter seven through nine. But those are a flashback right. to Exodus, and so actually, this is the last thing said before they set out right. to head toward Canaan. So we need, yeah, that's I've never actually thought about it like that. So this is it. So the Lord bless you and keep you. What's fun? Uh, some behind the scenes magic. Oh yeah. So like in Hebrew, these are ascending. So in, oh yes, I yeah Hebrew, I read about this. So there's three words: the Lord bless you and keep you. Is three words in Hebrew. The Lord make His face shine upon you is five words. Yep. And then the Lord lift up His countenance is seven words. Yep. So it's just ascending order uh, by two by two of uh, of blessing yep. of like more and more blessing upon line upon line it grows. Yes. Yeah. And it is I think I don't I'd have to do a little more study, but I think historically or at least traditionally hebrew people would not speak the name of god right except when they would say this blessing oh wow so like like so like normally they would like say adonai instead of oh, yahweh yeah, yeah, yeah. but except the once or twice a year they would say this blessing yeah they would say yahweh bless you and keep you yahweh yeah. so like that's not scripture right. but that's like hebrew tradition yeah. would reserve the speaking of the name of Yahweh for this blessing this alone. Is, this is a, a very important blessing to the people of Israel. Yeah. The oldest, uh, so back in 1979, there was an archaeological dig in the old city of Jerusalem. Okay. Okay. And they found a phylactery. Yeah. Which... The, the phylactery. Phylactery. With the thing they put on their heads and, and their there's hands. little scrolls in them. Right. Right. They're like about the size of a cigarette, you know? And uh, and in that, it's the oldest one we've, we've found. And it was dated to the 7th century BC. So we're talking like pre-exilic period is is like people are so saying like where this before, came from. Before Babylon took over Israel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, and they're saying like, and so in, in, in it were two scrolls. And one was the full version of this blessing. And it matches the Masoretic text that we have today. Masoretic. The, the Aramaic, isn't that the Aramaic version of the Old Testament that the Jews of Jesus' day probably would have been reading? I I'll, think that's I'll it. take your yeah, word on it. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but it matches what we have today, word for word. Okay. So it's like the preservation of the Bible, first off, right. is insane. 700 or 800 years before Jesus. Amazing. It's, it's yeah. crazy that that text had been preserved like that. Um, and then the second scroll was a abridged version of this, like a, one you could just say in a in a brief second, you know, like a quick little prayer, uh, which this one's pretty short anyway. But I guess they loved it like so the, much. Instead of they, like, the, it would be like, "The Lord keep, be gracious, and give me peace." Yeah, something like, like that. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, this was a highly important prayer to the people of Israel. Um, and so it, it's uh, and it's beautiful. I I pray it over Ezra, my son, every every single night. Yeah, I've heard this one associated with like nighttime prayers. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I say it, I say it over Ezra every single night, and it's it's a beautiful prayer. It's asking for God's blessing, which is the covenant that mm-hmm. that they would be fruitful and multiply, that He would keep them, keep them safe, keep them in the land, keep them in His presence, yes. uh, maintain their lives, give them long life. Right. So this yeah. is about life multiplication and inheritance. Jude will pick up on that. Like you're kept for faith. Yes, in Jesus absolutely Christ. right. And then um, that He would make His face shine upon them and be gracious. What this is. What Moses saw on the mountain, may you see. 
May yes. you see the glory of God. May you always be in his presence. It's and, what uh, uh, yeah. Paul talks about in First in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians 3, three. Yep. when he says, like, we have it on our, we see with unveiled face yep. the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. That's right. So we have like, so what Paul will do, is doing here is he's taking something that's about Yahweh alone mm-hmm. and making it Trinitarian. That's right. And then the third, the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Like we're told that the Holy Spirit is the peace bringer, yeah. the comforter. Right. Like So like I think in more liturgical services, you have the benediction at the end, which would be this. And you also have uh, what's uh, a call to worship at the beginning. Oh, right. Both of which, the first will be explicitly Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. This one is implicitly Trinitarian, even though that's not what numbers is oh, intended. Oh, sure. Right. But. And I just think it's, and it's, and it's supposed to apparently, the rhythm of the Hebrew is supposed yeah. to build and build and build until you get to the word shalom, peace. Mm. And it's all supposed to lead to peace, you it's know? To Eden. Yeah, to what, Eden. What yeah. is per, what like this is this is the chant on the way to Eden, and where what 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 how is Eden described as a piece a, a place of shalom? Mm. Every it's not just no <clears throat> wars. It's everything working correctly together in harmony. Yeah, because so, shalom is about harmony and har- about yeah yeah it's like, yeah yeah wow. proper inner working. So that, as the last words of it is shalom. Yeah, and, and it, dude, check this out. How does how dude. does Paul in end begin so many of his letters? Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Mm. That's that's line two and line three, that he might be gracious to you, line two, and that he might give you peace. And then um, Jesus, full of all grace and truth, yeah. came in John 1. Uh, peace be with you, Jesus would say. Like, uh, I've mm. come to bring peace, Jesus says, I think, in the Luke's, Luke's account of the gospel when the angels come and say what he's yeah. bringing, peace to man, right? Yep, 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 yep. And so it's like, he... Like who who has who brings the blessing keeps us carries the face and countenance of God Himself is gracious to us and brings peace on earth. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the only one who accomplishes the priestly blessing, and He's the one who will come again. Yes, and say and these bring words. Shalom. And bring shalom. We forever. will say this again before the new heavens and the new earth. Wow. Yeah. When Jesus is coming down from the clouds to recreate the world, we will say the Lord has blessed us yeah. and kept us. The Lord has made his face to shine upon us and he has been gracious to us. Hmm. The Lord, we see his countenance yeah. <laughs> and he is bringing peace. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us um, on this episode of the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Uh, it's a lot of fun, numbers. Uh, we're going to do flashback next week. We're going to go back to Exodus for a Ooh, second flashback. in chapter 7 and 9 and then we're off. And then we'll be out of these this law section and into... The, yes. the narrative, which... We, I thought you were like, we're off, like, we're taking a break? No, I don't know about this. No, no, no. <laughs> we're off like a like a jet. <laughs> like a rocket. <clears throat> and uh, and then we get into the action movie of numbers, and it'll, it gets really, really interesting. So uh, this has been great. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com.